All right, so let's, uh, again, we're looking at Exodus 20, verse 17. And then we're going to skip down uh, to Luke 12, 13 through 21. So Exodus 20, 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then Luke 12, 13 to 21, says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Grass withers and flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray before we look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We take just a minute to thank you, as we do every week, that you would speak, that you speak through your word. And we also take a minute to ask that you would be with us to, to open our hearts to it. Father, if you don't, by your Holy Spirit, if you're not at work, then the truth, uh, the good news will pass us by. And we need you to work. And you say that you will, and so we ask that, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want you to imagine uh, this scenario. All right, so try to put yourself in this position. So you're at home, just kind of doing what it is you do. And your cell phone rings, like actually rings, not, not just a text, someone's calling you. And it's your best friend in the whole world, right? So you're actually going to answer it. And, and you pick it up, and you can immediately tell that something big is going on, right? It just has that, that feel to it, right? They're clearly worked up, they're, they're breathing hard, and they tell you, they're speaking really fast, and they say, you remember, you remember that I told you, you know, a couple of few weeks ago that my aunt so-and-so had passed away, right? And that I had to go, you know, to the reading of the will and do all that kind of stuff. You, do you remember that? Well, you're not going to believe this, but, you know, we always knew that she had some money, okay, but she was loaded, and she's giving me, like I met her one time, and she has left me, which what will be after taxes, like two and a half million dollars. Two and a half million dollars, right? Sorry, you're in, again, picture yourself in that situation. Your friends called you, told you this. So a couple questions for you. First, I want you to think about what are you going to say to that person? And I would imagine that you're going to say something like, that is awesome. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. That's wonderful. Great, right? But second question 
is in that moment, what are you really thinking? What are you really thinking to yourself and what are you feeling? And I'm going to guess if you're like me, and maybe you're not, maybe you're better than me, but that's certainly possible, <laughs> maybe even probable. But if, if I'm going to be honest, if that scenario happens, my best friend calls me and says, guess what, I just came into untold you know, amounts of money. I'm going to be thinking simultaneously sort of two thoughts. The first is going to be something along the lines of like, yay for you. <laughs> of course, your aunt left you two and a half million dollars. Of course. Why, why wouldn't she? I wish my aunt would leave me anything, right? Of course that happened to you. Why can that happen to me? And then secondly, and not even, not even after, but running right alongside, recognizing that it's not my aunt that left me the money, I'm going to be thinking some form or fashion of how is this going to benefit me? How can I leverage this? How is this going to work? Like, great for them. How is that going to be good for me? Right? Maybe they can support RUF more. Maybe uh, they'll, they'll want to take a cool trip and they'll want to take our family. You know, how is it going to benefit me? Now, again, maybe you wouldn't have any thoughts like that, but I'm guessing that, that you probably would or something along those lines. Something like that would be going on inside you. And if that's true of you, then I think that this 10th uh, commandment about coveting has something to teach us. Um, and it really sort of begs the question, if you think about it, why is that there? What is that about, what is it about ourselves that always tends to, that always tends to want that over there, right? We always want that thing that's over there. Um, and so we're going to look at that tonight, right? The, the tenth, tenth commandment against coveting, and we're going to define it and sort of hash it out here in just a minute. But, um, right, every week we're, as we've been studying through the Ten Commandments, we're, we've been saying that the Ten Commandments acts like a, a mirror on the one hand, into which we can look and we can really see what we're like in our sin. It really shows us the truth of who we are. And tonight as we look into that mirror, I think we're going to see that we're a people whose hearts tend to be restless. And our hearts are restless and they, they always tend to want to find happiness with something that's over there. Something else. But at the same time, while it acts like a mirror, it also acts like a window through which we can look and see the character of God. And I think what we're going to see tonight, as we look through that window, we'll see that God, we'll see a God that actually loves our wandering hearts. And that he's actually a God that's going to give our hearts true contentment. All right, so I want to look at that in three ways. Three uh, questions that we're going to answer. First... Where do, we, where do we covet? Yes, where. Secondly, what is coveting? And then thirdly and finally, what's the answer to our coveting? All right, so where do we covet? And that might sound like a strange question, right? Um, but there's actually something that's very unique about the, the Tenth Commandment, right? It's different from all the others except maybe from the first, and it actually parallels the first in a lot of ways. Um, but it's different from all the others in one really significant way. So I don't know if you caught this, but did you notice that the Tenth Commandment is, is purely internal? It's all and only about what happens inside 
of you and me. Right? All the other commandments are, at least in, on their most obvious level, about something that happens outside, right? That people can see, right? You can see someone, again, this is on the most obvious level, you can witness someone murder someone else, right? You could witness someone lying, all the other commandments. But this one is 100% about the inside. It's about your heart, right? And in that way, I think it's essentially, it's like the kill shot of the Ten Commandments. Right? All along we've, you know, if you've been with us, you know that all along we've applied every commandment to our hearts. Because we see that very clear. I mean, it was the intention in the Old Testament. And we see Jesus very explicitly do that in the New Testament all along. Um, but like we just said, the law is supposed to be a mirror that shows us our true selves. Right? It shows us the standard. And when we look at that, we see how far short we fall. We see how sinful we really are. And we've said this a couple of weeks, that the law, the law is not meant to wound us. It's meant to kill us. It's not meant to just show us how bad we are, so like, oh wow, I really am bad, I need to, I need to get on that. It's meant to absolutely cut our legs out from under us. But I think, I think it is possible in some way, right, as we make our way through the Ten Commandments, I think that it is possible for us to sort of still be alive at this point, right? If you just sort of take them at their uh, face value, right, if you don't dig deep, um, that you could sort of be studying through the Ten Commandments and, and still, still think you could sort of pull it together, right? And then along comes the Tenth Commandment that doesn't have anything to do with the outside, it's just the inside. And it's sort of the kill, it, it, kill shot. It makes me sort of think of the Walking Dead. Are there any other Walking Dead fans? Okay, good. Anyone else think that it is the best show on television right now? Good, yes. I, you people, I love all of y'all. Um, all right, so if you don't know, and look, I'm, look, I'm not a zombie guy, right? It's an awesome show. Because it's not about the zombies. That's what's genius. That's a whole other sermon. All right. <laughs> so... But here's the deal, if you're not into zombie shows, zombies don't die. Like, they don't die easy, okay? Right? Like, the zombie's advancing, right? Takes a shotgun blast, arm blows off, no problem. Still coming at you, right? Um, you know, gets, takes a whack in the head, you know, ear flies off, still coming. Another appendage gets lopped off, still going, right? It's wounded, it's slowed down, but it's still coming at you, right? But it takes that final kill shot. And... Maybe as cheesy of an illustration it is, I think that you and I can walk through the Ten Commandments, so to speak, sort of like that, right? You walk through and you hear, all right, uh, do not murder. And even though we talked about that really murder is when we hate people in our hearts, um, we think like, okay, yeah, whatever. But, I mean, I, I've never killed anybody, right? And so maybe it's like arm blows off, you know, but I'm still, I'm still alive. I'm still making it, right? And then, you know, along comes uh, adultery. And you think, okay, sure, I get all that about, like, faithfulness in my heart and, you know, things like that. But look, I've never slept with someone that is not my husband or wife. You know, so you take a little wound, but you're still, you're still making it, right? No arms, but I'm still coming at you. I'm still on my feet. And then along comes the Tenth Commandment that, that doesn't even get at anything about the external, outside you, Right? Because all the other ones you could sort of put on some sort of show, right? 
and, and get by. And then this one comes along and says, all right, if, you, if, you, if you're going to be perfect, don't kill people. Don't sleep with other people. You know, don't want things that you shouldn't. And bam, you know, there's the headshot or the heart shot, as it were, right, that finally does us in and says, okay, if that's really what the law is about, then I got nothing. It doesn't let us hold on to any shred of self-righteousness anymore. Because you can fool other people, right? And, and hey, we're at Baylor, right? We're good at that. We're good at, like, putting on the face and, uh, you know, getting people to think, like, yeah, we have it all together. How's everything? Good. But then this one comes along, and it pulls the rug out, out from under you. Because it's all about what's in your heart. And this is actually, Paul tells us in Romans 7, right? Go home and read that. Paul tells us that it was actually this commandment, right? In Romans 7, he basically says, among other things, he says, look, the law came into my life and it exposed me. He thought he was keeping it, right? He was a good, you know, he was a Pharisee. Thought he was keeping the law, but then he, the one that really, when it really clicked for him, it was the 10th commandment. And he says, this one comes in, and once he, once he realized, like, wait, this doesn't have anything to do at all about what I do on the outside. It's about what I, it's about my heart. And he says, that's, that's what really did me in. That's the Apostle Paul. That's when he knew his heart was bad. And so look, our first point, basically I just want to say this, that I hope that this commandment does that for us. I hope in a good sense that it kills you and me. Because it has to. Right? I, I hope, as strange as it sounds, that you will let this commandment in. You will actually drink it in. And it will, it will kill any thoughts of self-righteousness in you. It will show you how messed up your heart is. But look, I want it to do that because that's a wonderful thing. And that's a wonderful thing only because of the good news of the gospel. Right? That's the front door of Christianity. That's where we all have to be. Is there realizing, I can't do anything for myself. My heart is desperately wicked. All right, so we see where we covet. Coveting is all about our heart. So secondly, what is coveting? Slash, how do we covet? Um, All right, so let's define it a little bit. Uh, The word that we have translated as coveting uh, is essentially a word that indicates some sort of deep desire or intense longing. Something that, you know, not just something that uh, seems attractive to us, and and that would be nice, but but a deep-seated longing. Um, In Matthew 5, when Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, the word that we translate as lust or lustful is actually the same word as covet. But But I want you to see this not always necessarily a bad desire. Right? Coveting is... Here it is. Coveting is an extreme desire expressed in an inappropriate context. That's the deal. So it's not even necessarily the, um, the amount of desire that's wrong. That's not the problem. Uh, nor is it the object of the desire that's wrong. But it's the amount of desire for that object in a particular circumstance or context. 
right? It's actually even used of Jesus. He says that he desires or covets, but we translate it desires. Uh, he covets to eat the Passover with his disciples. Um, Paul's desire to be with Christ in death. He says he covets that. Um, but even more earthly things, right? They're, they're not wrong to covet or uh, to, to desire. Uh, one of the, uh, an example, the Bible makes it clear that it's okay for a man, uh, for a man to um, intensely desire, long for a woman. And even to strongly desire a woman, and even a married woman, as long as it's his wife. Right? You see the distinction. But the, this commandment comes along and it says, you shall not covet... Are my pants unzipped? Or something? Okay. I've just been worried about that the whole time. <laughs> and now that's going to be on the tape, but... I just had to ask. Um, all right. <laughs> I had to know. I had to know. Look, something's really funny, and I just... I don't care what it is as long as it's not me. Because <laughs> this is all about me. All right, let's pray and go home. Um, all right, so where are we? I have no idea. Uh, let's see. Um, right, yeah, this is, about, this is about our neighbor, right? You should not have an extreme desire for your neighbor's whatever. So essentially, what does that look like for us? What, what is this talking about? It's, it's basically when we look at something that somebody else has, and we say, if I had that, then I would be happy. I don't have it, but if I did, that, that would really do it for me. Then I would finally be okay. That would bring me true contentment, true satisfaction. Right, and the commandment, the commandment talks about what, what sort of things. Um, basically, our neighbor's house, and you could extend that sort of to household, his wife, um, husband or wife, that's pretty obvious, um, his ox, donkey, wh- what are those things? Those are things that you would use for work, right? Um, it's when we look at our neighbor's life, you know, and then, of course, it ends with just uh, with anything that they have. It's when we look at our neighbor. And it's going to tend to be the things that matter the most to us, our work, our romance, um, our household, things about our family. It's when we look at that and we want what they have because that would really do it for us. So what does that look like? It's, certainly it's not hard to see that in our lives. Um, I mean, just think about how quick we are to look at somebody else and to think how much better life would be, how much better life would be if your parents we're still together, like theirs are. Or how much better life would be if, if your parents could afford to pay for college like theirs can? How much better life would be if you didn't have to work your way through college like, like they don't? Or maybe you look and you think, how much better my life would be. I would finally be happy if I could be in a relationship like, like they are. Or if you are in a relationship, if my boyfriend or girlfriend could be more like them, right? If they didn't, if they rolled with the punches more like, if they weren't so naggy, if, whatever. Life would be so much better. I'd be happy. Or maybe if I had, if I had that kind of talent, 
like they do, I'd be happy. If my body looked like theirs, then everything else would be okay. If I was that good in school, um, if I had a friend group like they do, then I'd be happy. Or here, here's one. I'll end with this one. Maybe it's sometimes a lack of a particular struggle. You look at that person, they don't struggle with whatever it is, and you think, if I had that, then I'd be happy. It's easy to do that, right? And look, that's why I think, that's why Facebook and Instagram and, and whatever else can be such a problem. And, look, and hear me, I'm not saying that those things are problems, but they can become problems for us because, right, people, you know, you talk about this, people put on, people put on the happy face, right? Right, the good stuff, and they post that. And it's so easy, I think, for us to look at that and, it, and to think, Man, if I could just have that, like they do. Look how happy they are. You know, nobody puts a bad day like, look, this is me, miserable. <laughs> um, but everybody's happy. If I could just be like that. Right? It's, like looking at a, it's like looking at a great menu of food online. And you think, like, I wasn't hungry, but now I am. And I can't have that. Right? And so it's pretty obvious to see how that... When that's at work in our hearts, which you know, I think it's fair to see that it always is, how that undermines community, right? Because what we tend to do is we tend to look at other people that have those things or that are those things, and it tends to make us bitter. Because we think maybe a couple things. One, they don't deserve it like I do. Or they don't appreciate it like I would. They take, it, they take it so for granted that they have that. And so that, that, that does nothing but breeds bitterness with our roommates, friends, family, classmates, everybody. And that's going to destroy friendships, destroy relationships. Yeah, if I had that, then I'd be happy. All right, so thirdly and finally, what's the answer to our coveting? Right? If you're tracking along with this and you're honest with yourself, you say, okay, yeah. That, that's just all throughout me, right? I'm eating up with that. Um, what's the answer? Well, this is where we go to the passage that we read in Luke 12. All right, so this, this I think is very fascinating, right? This is, this is Jesus' part of Jesus' brilliance, what he does here with this guy. All right, so basically the story we read, a guy comes up to Jesus and he says, um, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me, Okay? And so it might seem like at first what he's asking, uh, basically, Jesus, get my brother to be fair and kind, right? Like, work this out for us. He's not, he's being stingy. But that's not actually what's happening. Um, Because the law, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, if you care, uh, lines out very clearly how inheritances would be handled between, in a family, between brothers. So there's really no question, like, who's the firstborn, how does, you know pretty objective. So really what this guy is asking Jesus is for really an unfair ruling in his favor. See that? He's basically looking at his brother who evidently naturally and rightly gets most or all the stuff and he's saying he's looking for Jesus to give him some of that. And Jesus sees exactly what's going on obviously 
which is his covetousness. He's looking at his brother and saying, I'd be happy if I had that. And so what does Jesus say? He tells him a parable. And it's, it's genius because for a number of reasons, but one is that I think Jesus tells him this parable and he's essentially saying this. Hey, think about this. What if you actually get what you covet? What if you actually got it? What if I, what if I granted it to you, right? Would it really satisfy you? Because that, that's what happens in the parable, right? The guy says, uh, you know, I've got all this stuff, and so I build barns. And, um, and then God comes along and says, your life's demanded of you now. So now what about your stuff? What, is, what, is, what does it matter? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the you know, so he basically says, look, you need to find your wealth, not in your stuff, but in your relationship with God. Because at the end of the day and at the end of your life, that's, that's all that really matters. So that helps us understand a couple of, couple of things. One, it helps us understand what the answer is not. And look, the answer to our covetous hearts is not, okay, I need to just be content with what I have. And that might sound strange to you. Now listen, that is a biblical concept. Okay? It's even a decent application from that passage. But that's not, the, that's not the, the heart of the answer, right? Because that's not even what this guy was doing. This guy in the parable that Jesus tells is not saying like, I wish I had that guy's farm. He has what he wants. He, he looks at his stuff, all of his farm, you know, builds new barns, and he says, hey, take it easy. You can relax. you got good stuff. He's finding his contentment in the stuff that he has. And Jesus says, no, that, that's not fundamentally going to do it for you. And so then he, in, uh, Jesus ends the parable with what we just said. Sort of the second, second thing. He says, you don't need to find your contentment in your stuff, or certainly someone else's, but you have to find it in your relationship with God. And that might seem strange, you know, based on the translation, right? It says, it, it kind of can read like um, the bad guy is giving himself things, but is not giving things to God, not rich toward God. But I... I think a better translation, what he's getting at, is that he's not rich with respect to God, in regard to God. In other words, he doesn't find his wealth in his relationship with God. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is telling us. All right, so what is a relationship with God all about? Because that, that sounds like a great churchy, preachery kind of phrase, right? You should find... Don't find your contentment in yourself. Find it in your relationship with God. Let's pray. Like, okay, I guess I don't know what that means. So what does it mean? What's this relationship with God all about? Look, Hebrews 12, 2. It's a great verse. It's talking about Jesus. And it's kind of jump in the middle of a sentence. But it's talking about Jesus, and it says, uh, Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Hear what that's saying. That Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So, you know, very simply, there was something that, what was it that made the cross worth it to Jesus? Right? There was something that was great, that was 
in a sense, held out to him. Like, all of this is terrible, but it's worth it for that. What's his joy? His joy is you. His joy, what made the cross, what made bearing the wrath of his father worth it, where he could look at that and say, as bad as that is, I'll do it because I'm going to get that. That that is you. Because he loves you. That's what it's all about. Right? That's the relationship that we're talking about. Not a relationship where you, um, you start to get it in gear and do a little better. And quit murdering people even in your heart and you know, quit wanting what other people want so much. And, no. That what a relationship with God is all about is a relationship with someone, with God that looks and says, you know what? Not to say that Jesus coveted anything, certainly in a sinful sense, but it's basically like Jesus looked around and said, you know what I'm going to bind my happiness to? Uh, what what I'm, I'm going to, in a sense, count myself not happy and not content and not fulfilled until I have you. And I'll do whatever it takes to get you. You're his joy. And finding that kind of love will change you. Right? Because that kind of love, being loved like that, right? Because, look, it's absolutely for free. Right? He doesn't say, I'm, I'm going to love people that can get it together. Right? He, no, he has to go to the cross to bear our sin, our covetousness, our murdering hearts, our, our all of it. And he offers himself to us for free. Right? It's, it's called grace. We get to just take it. And if you have somebody that loves you like that, that's really... That's really what's up under all the other wanting that we do. And so when that is fulfilled, number one, our, all of our guilt is removed, right, on the cross. We're, we're, we're counted righteous. And that's going to begin to work on us to change us. I'll end with this illustration. A friend of mine told me about an interview that he heard um, uh, an, an NBA star being interviewed. So look, this is secondhand. He told me about the interview. I couldn't find it. I can't document this, so we're going to assume it's true. But the interviewer was asking this NBA star, basically, you know, I know you to be, you know, you're married. What kind, how big of a temptation is it for you to, you know, the pro-athlete lifestyle is, is pretty well documented, right? That... Um, how big of a temptation is it for you to go on the road and have all sorts of women just throw themselves at you? How big of a temptation is that? And the guy said, to be honest, not any, really. And he's like, oh, come on, man. Like, you have, you know, flocks of beautiful women just that would throw themselves at you in every city that you go, nothing. He said, I I can't, Imagine how that's true. And the guy said this, because you haven't met my wife. Right? That's it. That's it. Right? That guy, because 
because of the love of his wife. Because he knows his wife loves him so much. And he loves her so much that he can look at, you know, in, in that realm, right? Anything else and say, I don't need that. I don't even want that. Because I have this, right? How much more so, right? That, that's it. How much more so if the God of the universe looks at us and says, I love you. I really do love you for free. Right? The more that that gets down in gets down inside of us, the more that we'll be able, the more that that will drive out our, our, the coveting that still remains. Because we'll be able to look at other things and say, I, I don't need that. I have, I have this. It's a kind of love that will change us. Because in Him we find everything that our hearts long for. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we pray, would that that were true. And thank You that it is. That You... You have, you love us. That you would pay it all for us. And not just out of some cold contract, but because you love us and you want us to, you want to be with us. Jesus, I pray that grace would reign true in all of our hearts, even now. And if it's not true, would you please make it so? In every heart here. We ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.